Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Well, we continue this series called Elisha. There are two guys in the Old Testament whose names sound very similar, and it's easy to get them confused, and it's especially easy to get them confused when you realize that one mentored the other. Elijah kind of mentored Elisha, and it is Elisha with an S-H, the one we're looking at, and if you have your Bible with you, I would invite you to go ahead and turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to start in verses 1 and 2. And if you're new to us, just let me tell you, we'll put everything on the wall for you so you can see it, all the, all the, mem- the Bible verses we'll put up there. But at Cross Lane, I encourage you to bring your Bible if you have one. If you don't have one, see me. We, can, we got enough people that leave Bibles behind every week. I'm sure we can find you a Bible somewhere. But um, we like for you to bring your Bible. I like for you to have a pen handy in case you want to circle something or underline it. That's how I learn and grow. And um, really, all I'm doing on Sunday is trying to learn as much as I can, and then I turn around and teach it to you. Um, so, Second Kings chapter four is the is the, are the is the passage this morning. In the first week, we talked about burning plows and killing cows. In the second week, we talked about digging ditches. Today, we're going to talk about grabbing some jars. And next week, we're going to get our edge back when we look at a very, very cool miracle in the Old Testament. It's just, it's, um, you know, some people hear about the miracles in the Bible and they're like, ah, that never happened. I, I don't understand why, if you believe in God, how it's not really all that hard to believe that God can do miracle, miraculous things. And we're going to look at one next week, look at one today as well. Maybe there was a time when you were closer to God than you are today. Next week's message is going to be perfect for you in that regard, but today this message I think is going to be helpful to everybody because I think it's especially going to be helpful to those of you who feel overwhelmed. I I was talking to some people on the way out after the first service and some people coming in and they are overwhelmed. There's a lot going on in their world and I think I'm hoping that today's message will be helpful for you. If you feel like there's just too much going on in your world and you feel like you're in need right now, and you feel like you don't have enough energy, maybe you don't feel like you have enough time, maybe you feel as if you're really low on faith. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, I hope this message is able to help you in some regard to build your faith a little bit uh, this morning. If you find yourself today running on empty, as Jackson Brown (laughs) sang so famously, if you find yourself feeling that there's just too much in one area of life or another, I really hope that today is helpful for you. So to set the context this morning, let's take a look at this passage in 2 Kings chapter 4. We're looking at the very first verse. It says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. So we're going to look at at the wife of a prophet. And she said, your servant, my husband, is dead. So now this lady is a widow. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Verse 2, Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Your servant has nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. Now there's a lot going on in in these first two verses. Let's talk about them a little bit. First thing you notice is that this woman is not named for us. We We don't have a name for her. According to Jewish tradition... Many people believe that she was the wife of the prophet Obadiah. And uh, if that were the case, then it would really be no wonder that she feels this financial need because Obadiah was known 
for protecting and providing for over 50 prophets. So if he, if it was indeed Obadiah's wife, he would have taken all the family resources he had to meet the needs of the other prophets that he felt in some way responsible for. Uh, quite honestly, it would not be at all uncharacteristic for a prophet and his family to be struggling because they would spend the majority of their lives on the run. Prophets were oftentimes not popular people. And um, they would get themselves in trouble. And a lot of times they, they were trying to find income where they could find it. And survival was a very difficult thing. And, and um, it was difficult to make ends meet. So if you can picture this, we have a widow. And we're going to guess that she's somewhere in the range of 30 to 35. She might be a little older than that. But if you're thinking along about 35 would be pretty close, uh, they think. She's just lost her husband. She has very little by way of gainful employment. It really doesn't have a shot at that. In this culture, it's very difficult for women to hold a job in the culture that we're looking at in this particular Bible range, unless it was something that a lady would not do, you know, like prostitution or something. So she's in a really devastating place. She has lost her husband, and now a creditor is coming after her and threatening to take her two sons, because the law said that um, if you can't pay your debts, like if you owed someone money in this time and you couldn't pay the debts, then that person could press your family members into slavery until you either paid the debt or the year of Jubilee came around and then they would be released. So, you know, it doesn't get any worse than this. Humanly speaking, she has no hope whatsoever. She's lost her husband, she can't pay her bills, and now she's going to lose her sons. And and, and it just really, you think about it, it doesn't get much worse than that for somebody. Now let me say this, I want to say this as delicately as I can. Many of you have difficulties and life problems that are devastating, okay? I understand that. I have, I have talked to you, some of you this morning, about things going on in your world, and they are serious. They're hard. Uh, they, they are not easy things to, to get over. I've had three or four conversations this morning already like that. But there are many of us who have what we might call entry-level problems, right? Entry level. Uh, it, it, it happens, it's amazing how easy I can get riled up over something that's really not a problem. Uh, it feels like a problem to me until I see someone with a real problem, and then I go, Brett, you need to shut up because that's a real problem, and what you've got is just, you're whining pretty much. And yet it happens all the time, right? I mean, I'm sure that I'm not the only one. I'm sure that there are times when you look around and you go, you know what, you just need to quit yapping and just kind of suck it up a little bit. For instance, if you get riled up because you're GPS on your smartphone took you to the wrong address again, that's an entry-level problem, all right? That's not, that's not a serious thing. That's entry-level. Can we agree? If you're at the restaurant and you're devastated because they put the wrong salad dressing on your dressing, entry-level problem. If you're devastated because you only got seven likes on your Instagram selfie and nobody put hashtag beautiful That's an entry-level problem, okay? You're, you're probably sitting there thinking, you know, I knew I should have used the sepia filter. I knew I should have. I, a different angle would have made the difference. Those are entry-level kind of things. The reality is many of you today, you don't have entry-level problems. Some of you have graduate-level problems. Some of you are looking at stuff, they're graduate-level. I mean, it's, it's serious. It's not something to be trifled with. It's not something that you, you should just kind of play around with. It's, it's serious. You, your marriage is 
barely hanging on and you don't know if it's going to make it. That is a graduate level problem. You've just been betrayed and you're trying to put the pieces back together and you don't know who you can trust. That is a graduate level problem. You might have a child that's sick and you're petrified. Graduate level problem. You may have someone in your life that you're, you're, you love. Maybe it's a child. It might be a parent. It might be a brother or sister. And you're watching them make decisions and you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, this is not going to end well. And there's very little you can do about it, and you want to help, but you know that your influence is very limited, and you, you, you know, it's one of those things like you want to go, but you can't say anything, that's a graduate level problem. There may be somebody in here this morning with a financial situation that looks hopeless, and you, you think, Brett, I, I cannot, I can't seem to make everything line up, and I can't seem to make the ends meet, um, you feel so stressed graduate level problem it may be and and we've got this in here this morning that you you have health issues and and uh, you know you might have been told that unless the unless god does something pretty amazing in your life um they're not really sure what's going to happen in your world you don't have an entry level problem you've got a graduate level problem if you're in, in if you are in significant need today I want to give you the key thought of our message, and I think this may be something that God wants you to kind of lock on to, to build your faith. Here's the thought. When you don't have what you really want, you will discover that God is what you really need. When you don't have what you really want, you may discover that God is what you really need. I want to explore this story a little bit more this morning. This woman is, is experiencing significant need, and she stressed her need to the prophet and what does he do? Let me, let me first, before we look at what he does, let's, let's think about what he doesn't do. He doesn't say, oh man, that's a bad problem. Your life stinks. It stinks being you, dude. He doesn't say that. He doesn't blow her off like it's no big deal. He doesn't say, oh man, that's bad. I'll, I'll be thinking about you. Don't think about him. We're Christians. We, we've got the opportunity to have the ear of God. We can, we can pray right to God. I, 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 don't, I would be lying if I said I'm able to do this every single time. But much of the time when one of you talks to me either on the phone or you send me an email or I get a text from you or we're talking in the lobby or whatever and you say, would you please pray for me? Um, a lot of times we'll, I'll stop and pray with you right there, but um, if I don't do that, I'm, I try to pray as people are walking away from me or as soon as I get the text or the email i'll just it doesn't take long you know 15 seconds you can just stop and pray for somebody uh and i, I would encourage you to do that don't don't just you know with a you know cheery smile say oh you know i'm sorry and no pray for them tell them that you're thinking about them and praying for them um that's what this prophet does he makes himself available to her elisha replied to her how can i help you you want to make a difference in somebody's world do you, do you want to be filled with joy, and do you want to start every day really great? Here's, what, here's how you do that. You, you wake up in the morning, and you tell God, God, I'm available today. I'm available to be your divine representative. And, and I, it, I mean, it sounds trite, but I don't mean it trite. God, I want to be a blessing today to somebody. I want to make a difference in somebody's world. And, and God, even if I can't meet the need, would you at least help me to be a conduit of ministry to people that I encounter today? Would you help me to leave people better off than I found them. 
Would you help me to leave them more encouraged, not less encouraged? Feeling better, not worse. Feeling uplifted, not put down. And when someone at the office expresses a problem or a need, what you say is, how can I help you? I mean, is there anything I can do to help you? And make yourself available just as Jesus would. And then he says something really profound. He, he respects her dignity. I like the way he does this. He says, tell me, what, what do you have in your house? Notice he doesn't say, I'm here with all the answers. Uh, quite honestly, if I could just speak for the rest of the unbelieving world, uh, one of the vibes that you kind of get when you talk to people who aren't really sure about this Jesus thing is that they're kind of sick of Christians who ha- think they have all the answers. You know, once in a while, it's a really good thing for you to look at somebody and say, you know what, I'm as confused by that as you are. You know what, I don't have every answer, but, but I've got a God who does, and I'm going to be praying about it. Um, I think that would be refreshing to a lot of the people that we talk to, because I think what we give them so, so much of the time is this puffed up version of, you know, we've got it all figured out. And I don't know about you, but I don't have it all figured out. And there are times, and you can testify to this because some of you have gotten this answer from me. You've called, Brett, this is what's going on in my world, and I don't know what to do about it. And I say, I don't either. I don't know what we should do about that. But you know what? I'll walk with you through it. We'll figure it out together. Um, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be praying about it, and I'll, we'll see if God doesn't come up with something that he can give us that will make a difference for us. But um, he respects her dignity, and he says, look, let's start with what you have. Let's let... Let's let God meet your need through what you have. And she replies, your servant has nothing there at all. You know, it's interesting when you're, when we hurt, when we experience lack, and, and you, you can, it really all, sometimes when you experience lack, all you can see is what you don't have. I was talking to somebody um, before church started, and, and, um, we got done early. By the way, we're going to beat the Baptist this morning to the restaurants, just so you'll know, okay? It's going to be a good morning. We'll beat the Baptist. But, but um, we got done a little early, and they came in, and the building was empty, and, and they said, well, is it just going to be us two? And I said, well, if it's just you two, I'm going to give you all I got, right? Um, I've, I've, when I was a youth pastor, sometimes, you know, you'd have 25 kids show up, and youth meetings were fantastic, and it was great, and, you know, big ego trip. I've got this big youth, youth group, and and then some Sundays, two would show up. Well, what I've heard a lot of youth pastors do over the years is if only two show up, that's what you hear. Well, I only had two. And he's, he's bemoaning the fact that the other 23 stayed home. My philosophy as a youth pastor, as is my philosophy with you guys, is whoever shows up, man, I'm just going to give it all I've got and, and pour into those. And, and it's just interesting how when we experience lack, we too often focus on what we do not have instead of what we do have. Somebody needs to hear this. We, we, we need to get this down. And that when we're hurting, we should not become so consumed with what we do not have. You know, you hear people say, well, I don't, I don't have enough money, so I can't ever really be happy. Or I don't have a spouse, so I can't ever have a meaningful life. Or you'll hear somebody say, you know, I can't, I can't have a small group in my house because my house isn't very nice. Because everybody knows that the Spirit of God can't move unless God's moving on top of granite countertops, right? I mean, everybody knows that. I don't have what I want, so life doesn't really matter. And then the classic, usually it's the ladies that do this, but I think, guys, if we're honest, we've probably done this too. I have done this. You know, you go into a walk-in closet, 
You survey what you have. Some of the things you have have the tag still on them, right? You look around and you, this, this sigh comes out of your mouth, this long sigh, and your shoulders droop. And <sighs> Say it with me. I have nothing to wear. <laughs> Only in America could I, could I do that and people know what's going on. You could clothe an African village with what we've got in most of our walk-in closets, but we have nothing to wear. Bring your shoes to Souls for Souls, by the way. (laughs) We often focus on what we don't have. This is where this poor woman in our story is. She's lost everything, and all she could see is her lack, which brings us to the question, what do you do when you don't have much? What do you do when you don't have much? Here's the answer to that, and this is one of the first of two points we have today. Stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. Stop waiting for what you want. Start working with what you have. Verse 2 in our story, Your servant has nothing here, there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. I, Prophet, I don't have anything. Oh, I, I do have this small jar of oil. Stop waiting for what you want. Start working with what you have. You may say, well, Brett, I mean, honestly, this woman, she's got a small jar of olive oil. I mean, really, what what is that? Well, actually, it was of incredible value. Uh, Olive oil was kind of rare for them, and it had tons of, of important uses. You could use it in cooking. You could use it to light lamps. Ladies, they... They didn't have a Bath and Body Works to go to back then. They used it on their face as a moisturizer. Um, it would, it would, could be used to keep leather pliable and, and movable and keep it from getting stiff. You could keep iron from rusting with olive oil. You would use it as an offering to God. You would, you would use it to anoint people. They would anoint, you know, in spiritual services. They would anoint people. And um, it was very valuable. She didn't have a lot of it. She only had a little. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that we serve a God who specializes in doing a lot with just a little. I mean, I, I, I talk to you, you know a lot of my story. I'm, I am just blown away that God lets me be a pastor. He's doing a lot with a little. Um, I'm thankful that God does a lot with a little. We serve a God who is absolutely capable of doing a lot with a little. You see it all through Scripture. You think about Jesus feeding 5,000 with a, you know, a handful of bread and fish. In the hands of God, a little becomes an awful lot. The Israelites are faced off with the Philistine army, and there's Goliath taunting them. And, you know, who does God use? God uses this little shepherd boy named David. He's got a little faith. He's got a few small stones in his pocket. And De- David says, who are you? to come against me and to defy the armies of the living God. Everyone thinks you're too big to beat. I think you're too big to miss. And I think it'd be funny if if we could just imagine David turning around, looking at everybody behind him, saying, look out, boys, he's about to fall. Don't let him hit you. And God used a little boy with a little faith. In the New Testament, Jesus is, is really clear. He says, if you have just a little bit of faith, not a lot, doesn't take a lot. Somebody probably walked in here this morning and they're saying, you know, I'm, I'm low on faith. And all you have is a little. And you would say, Brett, a little is stretching it. We serve a God who can do a lot with a little. Jesus said, if you have just enough, the, the faith the size of a mustard seed, 
You could say to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea and you will have what you ask for if you just ask, if you just have a little bit of faith. We serve a God who can do a lot with a little. And Elisha says, what do you have? What do you have in your house? God asked Moses one time, what, what do you have in your hand? So what, what's in your house? What, what's in your hand? Notice that God doesn't say, what do you want or what do you need? But what do you have? Well, let's stop waiting for what we want and let's start working with what we have because God has given you everything you need to do everything he wants you to do today. That's been a great lesson for the leadership of this church. We, we go to conferences a couple times a year and we hear some great people speak to us, some guys that have really become great leaders in the country and I'll never forget Craig Groeschel at a conference we were at one time. He looked out at all of his pastors in the room, and, and pastors are notorious for complaining about what they don't have. You know, we always need more money, and we always need more facilities, and we always, we're always complaining. We need more. We want more. We want more. And he was kind of scolding us, and he, he looked out, and he said, you have everything you need to lead the people to Christ that God expects you to win to Christ today. You just got to use it, which is true. And that's not just a, a principle and a lesson for pastors, that's a, that's a principle and a lesson for all of us. You hear it all the time. We cannot because we don't. You know, we can't because, Brett, we don't have it. The person of faith says we can because we don't. Because many times what happens is in our lack, we figure out another way. You know, we have this expression in America. Um, necessity is the... Help me with it. Mother of invention. I couldn't get it in the first service either. Necessity is the mother of invention. I mean, that's a, really, when, when you come to the place where you just don't have very much and you start looking around, I don't know how many times I've talked to moms. I've talked to sons or daughters of moms that re are remembering growing up in a house where there wasn't a whole lot of stuff in the house. And they say, you know what? <laughs> we never really had a whole lot, but I don't ever remember being hungry. You would look in our cupboards and it, they were kind of bare, but mom always seemed to be able to figure out how to make a meal out of, you know, some rice and, and some onions and some, you know, whatever else was around. It's amazing what happens to us when we come to a place of lack and we start to look at what we do have and not focus on what we don't have and we come up with something. Somebody in here this morning is probably looking at what they have and they're saying, you know, I wish I had something else. I, I wish I could do something more significant. And God would say, no, 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 stop, stop. Stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. There may be a guy in here this morning and he's down on himself because he doesn't have the kind of job that provides the kind of money, you know, he maybe he wants the six-figure income. And I think a lot of times what God would say to you is, hey, man, there's, there's more to life than making a ton of money. You're home six nights a week with your kids. Stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. The most important thing you ever do might be the kids, not what you do, but the kids you raise. And, and if you're home more and you're, God, you know, if that's what it is for you, rejoice. Start looking at what you've got. Don't be focused on what you don't have. And being a good father or mother to your children is a huge success. So first of all, stop waiting for what you want. Start working with what you have. Second thing we learned from the story this morning is we need to offer to God what we have and trust God for what we need. Verse 3, Elisha said, go around 
and ask all your neighbors for empty chairs. So in, in week one, we burned plows. In week two, if you remember last week, we, we dug ditches. And this week, we're going to collect jars. That's really what we're focused on. We're collecting jars. Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. No, notice this sentence. You might want to circle or underline this. Don't ask for just a few. You get the, you get the feeling that that's significant. You, you get the feeling that's a foreshadowing. Don't, it's a little clue. Don't ask for just a few. Verse 4, then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. So what's going on here? So you're going to get a bunch of jars. You have to you have just a little bit of oil. But if you will trust God and if you will pour out what you have, well, I can't pour out what I've got. I mean, I can't pour out what I've got. No, no. Pour out what you have and, and, and then put it aside and God will refill your jar and give you what you need. And, and you just, you're just going to keep on pouring. Verse 5, she left him shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and I love this, she kept pouring. She kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one, but he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. You have a pen in your hand, you want to underline that. And you get, you get the impression that as long as there was an empty jar, God was going to fill it. You get the impression that the only thing that limits how much oil, which was very valuable in this time, you get the impression that the, the only thing that limits the amount of oil this woman is going to have is either her faith in the process or her ability to marshal up enough jars to pour oil into. Verse 7, she went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. When she offered what little she had, God gave her everything she needed. As long as there was an empty jar, the oil kept flowing. We've called this series The Tale of Ridiculous Faith. This was a ridiculous request by Elisha. To ask this poor woman who has very little and has so much on her mind and she's worried about her sons and she's worried about her condition and he says, I want you to pour this oil out. And trust God to provide what you, what you really need. That's exactly how God works in our life. But we have to show him our faith oftentimes before we see his faithfulness. Now, that's not always the case. I mean, I, I see the faithfulness of God in my life even when I am not faithful. But, but so often, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. God wants to see us take a step, make a move, show some faith. And sometimes when that happens, it's amazing what God does for us. So, so go get a bunch of jars. Notice, he doesn't say what color jar. He doesn't say what size. He doesn't talk about what the shape of the jar needs to be. None of that matters. There was one requirement for these jars, empty. These jars had to be empty. It, it could have been any kind of jar, milk jug, peanut butter jar, a butter tub. It didn't matter. God can use any shape, any size, any color. He just needs it to be empty. So you hear that and you think, well, how, how does that apply to me? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have this treasure that is Christ in jars of clay. That's our bodies. That's what we are. That's how God looks at us. That's what the Bible, how the Bible describes us. He says, you're, you're, 
jars of clay. What's God looking for? God's looking for a few empty jars, and when we empty ourselves, when we empty ourselves of self and pride and greed, and when we empty ourselves of our own agenda and just come to God empty, he fills us with oil. And in the Bible, oil has always been a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly you realize when you don't have outwardly what you wanted, God is truly all you ever really needed. And suddenly he's enough. He is sufficient in every single way. I used to, um, I had a professor, I, I went to Bible college, and so Bible college is a little different than regular college. I mean, um, it was just as hard. You know, people here, they think I went to Bible college and then it was easy. No, it was incredibly hard. Um, but one of the differences is you're just surrounded by Christian people. It's, you're almost like you're in a cocoon. Everybody you meet, you know, is a Christian. You, you don't ever, hardly ever hear foul language. You'd, you'd never smelled cigarette smoke. I mean, we'd have a delivery guy drive across campus. You could smell his smoke all, you know, just from one cigarette all the way across the campus. It was really strange. Um, just everything was different on a Bible college campus. But one of the things that's different is that all the, all the, a lot of the classes started with prayer. You know, the, the professor, before we get started, he would just, he would have us all pray. And, and uh, we had one professor named uh, Bob Martin. Um, Bob was an extremely smart man, very well educated. I, I don't ever remember anybody calling him Dr. Martin. We called him Bob. Uh, Bob was, he was, an, he was an old, distinguished gentleman. He had white hair and a white beard. He was thin. He wore cardigan sweaters. He looked like a Bible college professor. And he would walk our campus he would just walk our campus, and you knew that when Bob was walking campus, he was praying. He was praying for students, just praying for people. He was probably the most spiritual man I've ever met or been around. Um, his classes weren't all that fun because Bob talked in a monotone voice, and he'd put you to sleep. And Brilliant guy. I mean, brilliant guy, but he was just kind of hard to stay with him because he just wasn't real lively. Um, but if you could stay awake, you always learned a lot. But I, the thing that I remember, and I've taken away into this day, I, I, this sticks with me. I remember so many times Bob would pray before class and, and, uh, his prayer, you know, pray these beautiful prayers. And at the end of them, so many times I would hear him pray this. He would say, and, and we pray these things in Christ alone, who is our sufficiency. Isn't that beautiful? We pray these things in Christ alone, who is our sufficiency. In other words, God is all you need. God is all you need. We, God, this is what we want. This is what we ask for. But at the end of the day, what we recognize is you've given us so much, and what we really need is you. If we don't have anything else and all we've got is you, you alone are our sufficiency. I cannot tell you how many times I've talked to someone who, you know, a little girl will come in, I'm afraid I'm not going to have a husband. You know, guys, I'm afraid I'm not going to find a wife. Christ needs to be your sufficiency we pray these things in christ alone who is our sufficiency you see when you're weak he's your strength when you're hurting he's your comforter when you're lost he's the gps when you're hungry he is the bread that nourishes you when you are thirsty he is living water and when your life is unstable he is the rock that will not move when you realize I do not have what I want and you suddenly discover he is all I ever needed. Somebody came in here today empty, lacking. 
You came in here wondering, what is up with life? What's going on? None of this is working out the way I want it to. You need to look to him. He's going to become everything you need. Stop waiting for what you want. Start working with what you have. Offer to God what you have and trust him to bring to you what it is that you need. Because if you, when you don't have everything that you think you need and you really want, you will discover that God is really all you ever needed. Now this morning, there may be somebody in here that needs to give their life to Christ and I don't want to shut you off or shut you down. If that's something you need to do, then by all means, you come see me, we'll talk about that. But, but what's going on, I think, in the room, probably more than that, we, we, I'm sure we've got people in the room that need to give their life to Christ, and you should. But probably even bigger than that this morning are some people who've come in here and they just feel like their whole world's gone south. Nothing's going the way it's supposed to go, and, and you know, you're looking in your wallet, and you're looking in your cupboard, and you're looking in your house, and you're looking in your relationships, and you're saying, I don't have what I need. And it could very well be that you're on the brink of discovering what this widow discovered is that when you get to the point where all you are focused on is just what little bit you've got that's when God comes through for you when you start to put to work what little bit you've got and trust God for the rest and you're able to pray a prayer that says God you alone are my sufficiency that could be the point that your whole life turns around I'm not making light of your circumstance or your lack at all it's significant somebody's sitting here thinking Brett you don't know what I got no I don't know what you have I don't know what you have, but God does, and God's got it. He'll figure it out, and he's going to take care of you. So uh, definitely, I want to pray for any of you who have never given your life to Christ, but beyond that, I want to pray for those of you who've come in here this morning, and if you're totally honest, you really didn't want to come to church because you were thinking, man, what's he going to say to me this morning? So let's, let's just pray together. God, for the person who's here and never given their life to Christ, I, I pray that what they find when they come here and they spend some time around us is not, not a bunch of hype, that we don't pretend like life is rosy and everything's perfect because everything's not perfect. Uh, the world's screwed up and we're a mess and we've got issues and uh, we're all jacked up, but we come to this place where we realize that you died for us and because of that we're forgiven because of that, we're free. Because of that, we can face another day with great joy because we know you've got our back. You're going to take care of us. Lord, there's somebody in the room this morning that needs to acknowledge you as Savior and they need to give their life to you. I pray that that would happen this morning. Beyond that, Father, there are probably more than a few who've walked in here this morning and they're discouraged and they're down. And if the truth is told, they really didn't even want to come to church this morning because they're tired tired of not having enough. They're tired of looking around and seeing everybody else with more. God, I pray that you'd help them to not focus on their lack, but that you would focus them on what they have. That you would reassure them that everything they need, you're going to provide. Father, this morning, we pray all these things in Christ alone, who is our sufficiency. And everything we need is found in him. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.